Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we are discussing Atlanta and the Severance finale, two displays of some of the best television currently out there. Yeah, and we're right, so don't <laughs> even come for us about it. Yeah, we're, we're going to make a declarative statement and, and, and that's it. That's final. No, no feedback. Thank you so much. So this week, yes, this final this this week of April, yes. What have it you is been a week to? of April? Um, it is one week of April. <laughs> Not much, but uh, I have been enjoying in these recent weeks. I'd say maybe for the past three weeks to a month, the baked goods of a certain South Korean bakery chain, Toulouse. Oh my god, I love Toulouse, dude. I know. I for some what do they reason put into their stuff. I know. What is it? It's so a new one like opened up not too far uh, for me right now, which is kind of huge because oh, nice. there's not that much in the area. Yeah. And for some reason, like growing up, uh, you know, whenever I would go to China to like visit my relatives, like in Beijing, there was a there's a Paris baguette near my grandmother's house, yep. and there's yep. a Toulouse a little bit further away. I always yeah. prefer the Paris baguette for some reason, mm. and I just never really got into Toulouse. But now that I'm like able to. I don't know, see for myself, like reintroduce myself to this bakery. I fucking love it. It's way better than Paris Baguette. Yeah, their savory stuff is way better too. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what they put in it. it like whenever I'm in K-Town, for example, like when mm. I'm, I'm a bit hungry and I don't want to like sit down and have like, I don't know, barbecue. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, like a, a little something, something from Toulouse and then I switch over to Gongcha, get myself a little bubble tea. Nice. And that's my little like, yeah, because... My therapist's office used to be there. Now, obviously, we do everything over like Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, no but, excuse to go there. Uh, yeah, no excuse to go there. But like, <laughs> I, we, I'd have my session, like, be emotionally like hollowed out, and then I'd be like, I'm gonna go get myself a little treat, hmm, and then I'll yeah. make my way back to the office, just eating my little like, you know, cheese and tomato croissant. Mm. It was amazing. Ah. Oh. Uh, anyway, what about you, Palin? What are you up to this week? Speaking of the finer things in life, yes, uh, I bought myself a new little perfume. I'm a perfume girl. Just in case yes. anybody needed to know, you love the scents. I love the scents. I'm a big scent girl. But yeah, I um, went to in the West Village. I went to the Frederick Mal, uh, which is like it's like a French perfumery. But like he does this thing where he invites other perfumiers. Is that the word? I don't yeah, know. I think that's the word, right? Yeah, uh, like perfumers basically to like make a scent under that brand. Almost as like a pop up yeah well yeah pretty much but it's like they're in the permanent collection oh so, i see yeah and they're all like mad famous like they've created some of the most like incredible scents like the more like mainstream known iconic scents um and then he was just like yeah you're not under like the estee lauder banner do whatever the fuck you want and i got one called uh rose queer and that scent is designed by jean-claude elena but anyway, it, so I, I got it. It's expensive. And I just, I think when I was smelling it, I finally had to accept the fact that rose was the scent that suits my body chemistry the most, which is really funny because it's such a Middle Eastern <laughs> scent. Like just rose in general is is so prominent in the Middle East in terms of like a perfume scent. Mm-hmm. And I'd always like bulked against it because it was like, oh, that's too bait. But um, yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> I love it now. I've just got like, I've just finally come into the warm embrace of those petals um but yeah that that's been my week i've i've been over the moon about this extremely <laughs> expensive perfume that i got for myself well, i'm happy for you we are Thanks, we babe. are enjoying the finer things in life occasionally 
Uh, continuing to speak of the finer things in life, uh, tell me, what did you watch this week, Fallon? Yeah, finer things indeed. Uh, I've been watching Atlanta Season 3, which you can find on FX for Hulu, on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, and the previous two seasons are also on there. But, mm-hmm. you know, after four years of, of this show being off the air, this third season, I'll tell you what, mate, it's a bit of a salve. Um, and I'm really <laughs> happy about it. So four se- four episodes have been out so far. There's six more to come. So yeah, they 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 shot season four right after they shot season three. So um, season four is actually going to be the last ever season. Mm. Uh, so I guess you could say this is like a both a homecoming and a farewell tour. Start start of the farewell. Yeah. Um, so you know when this when this first aired, everyone apart from Donald Glover, who at the time was known as Childish Gambino, plus being the guy from Community, everyone knew him, but everybody else not so much. But now, you know, four years later, everyone's been in some, at least one a film, if not more. And it's just weird to welcome back this cast as basically of, of essentially movie stars, you know, just to kind of back up a little bit. For those that don't, didn't watch Atlanta, it's created by Donald Glover and it's about Ern, played by Glover himself, who's... I guess like a Princeton University dropout, I think. Um, he's struggling to prove himself <laughs> until he decides to manage his cousin, Alfred, who is the up-and-coming rapper Paperboy, played by Brian Tyree Henry. And along with his on-again, off-again girlfriend and the mother of his baby, uh, Van, aka Vanessa, who's played by Zazie Beats, um, and also Alfred's lovable weirdo roommate friend, Darius, that's played by Lakeith Stanfield, we navigate the city of atlanta which is arguably i would say the fifth character in this show um through their eyes and experiences and you know with this season uh they are on tour in europe so atlanta is not necessarily obviously present in this but it is there like the spirit of atlanta i think is still there within them i i think the question i want to ask you is you started watching this very recently you're done right like you're you're caught up yeah i'm all caught up I I think once upon a time I watched maybe the first one or two episodes. Yeah. This is a while ago. Yeah. Um because the show has been around for a while. Yeah. But for some reason I didn't keep going. I think I didn't have Hulu at the time or it was maybe it was on cable yeah. at the time and whatever for whatever reason I didn't continue. Yeah, it happened. But yeah, I picked it up again recently. But <laughs> did a marathon basically for the past couple of weeks to catch up on all the episodes which is not as hard as it might seem at all because these episodes are only about half an hour they go by quick and it's really easy to keep watching yeah and there's some outliers that are a little bit longer it's interesting that you binged it though because it was a week-to-week release before Mm -hmm. um so how do you what are your thoughts on it how do you feel about it as someone that has watched it now outside the context of it's like the cultural commentary that was going on when it was on air. yeah yeah that moment well, I really like it. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> apart from whatever people were saying about it before, it's a well-written, well-directed, well-acted show. It is very surprising at times, which is a lot more than you can say of a lot of TV out there. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing that most people have yet to nail down in terms of how to talk about it is the tone. Like, mm-hmm. it really has, I would say, a, a very individual to itself because it's such an amalgamation of so many different things that are happening uh both from episode to episode scene to scene even character to character season long it doesn't matter it's just like 
a hodgepodge um, of whatever it wants to be. And I think Alison Herman, friend of the pod, shout out to you at the ringer. Uh, I think she kind of summed it up that it was kind of chameleonic mm. where, mm. you know, quote, part social realism, part satire, part dream logic, part horror. Mm. All yeah, of these things kind of, br- yeah, like bringing it together. So you really don't know what you're going to get week to week. I do think that comedy is such a huge element of, of this show. And I think the way that it treats comedy is also really interesting um yeah yeah very um deadpan like straight face like uh, absurdity happens but yeah it's not a corny you know laugh track kind of thing or a sitcom comedy necessarily it's it's very much like the rolling with whatever happens yeah in this this life this kind of world yeah. we've created like there are objectively funny moments but there's also very very dark funny moments uh that are an acquired taste that may make people feel uncomfortable which i think like the best thing about this show and i think a lot of critics have noticed it now that they've had the four years to take a break and then come back to it and think about it is the way that this show does not pander to its audience it literally just tells its audience that this is what's happening and you better watch it or fuck off basically like it's very Mm. I i wouldn't say like i think confrontation was the wrong word but it is it is extremely like the audience is the sub and the show is the dom and it will tell you like <laughs> what it's going to be, which is, I think, different because like we don't we're in the thick of it. There are so many shows we're watching so much, so it's hard to kind of reflect. But there are a lot of shows that that give way to what the audience wants, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And treats the audience. Uh, I wouldn't say like idiots, but like it certainly doesn't challenge them. Um, and to have something as challenging as this back in the, you know, the TV repertoire right now, um, is a relief. And I think a lot of, a lot of critics are relieved. So I have a question for you as someone that has watched it recently, because in my, I have my idea of, of what my favorite episodes of Atlanta are so far. Do you have favorite standalone episodes? I do think I liked season two more than season Mm. one, or like, uh, it felt like things were, being shaken up a little bit more in season two right. versus the way it progressed in season one. So I like the barbershop episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the, I like the episode with, um, you know, paper boy getting lost in the woods. Mm. I guess I like a lot of the <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, episodes, yeah. They're great. Which, yeah. I mean, he's such a good performer. He's such a good actor. Oh, it's just amazing. Um, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then on this most recent season, gotta say that the reparations episode yeah fantastic so it, it, here's the thing a lot of people have talked about how people have tried to kind of duplicate the atlanta tone and like completely failed and i agree some people have brought up mm-hmm. like reservation dogs because it is location oh. it's also like location specific i can see that i can see it part of this part of the surreal yeah yeah like the weirdo the, the weirdo moments in the midst of like what is seemingly a, a, an ultra real situation I, I mean, I love Reservation Dogs, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's anywhere near it. It's totally fine, though. It doesn't mean that it's bad. One other thing that it reminded me of is, you know, BJ Novak's TV series? Oh, yeah. You know? I was, I was, tra- I guess I was, uh, it like reminded me of the NRA episode. Yeah, right? yeah. The, the, the premise is, yeah, the name of the series. Yeah, yeah the, which we talked about in an earlier episode. Yeah, so that's episode two, and it's with John Bernthal. Yeah, that it reminded me a little bit of that because there's absurdity yeah. in that too. Now that you mention that, yeah. yeah. But what what did you love about it? I mean, Atlanta is very good at these sort of standalone episodes that 
I guess, get into the capital I issues. Mm. Like the the episode one uh, of this current season, like which is kind of like a reference uh, or an adaptation of the real life tragedy of the Hart family. Like that's an example of that too. Yeah. But um, for the reparations episode, it really just, now that you use the word premise from BJ Novak's show, it really took this premise and stretched it as far as it can go. Like yeah. it, it didn't shy away from this particular vision of what that reality would look like. Yeah. It kept going. Yeah. It kept going. And it really was not ama- afraid to make things uncomfortable mm-hmm. or make things where you're questioning your sympathies or where you're, I don't know. It was just a very daring sort of piece of television. Like yeah. a, something that we don't see very often. No. And it was funny and like, it's, horror like it's mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. social horror yeah. <laughs> um, yeah maybe maybe one thing you could say is like oh is it a little bit too like preachy didactic with the guy in the hotel um, in the hotel lobby who's also the same guy from the boat in the first episode yo I did not clock that until I read a review yeah yeah, yeah. but then all, but then you see what he does next himself yeah. and you're like alright no this is not this is not like trying to do the whole um yeah no like finger wagging and like talking down to you kind of thing no and that, uh, that's the fascinating part about it is like it shows you things and you have to kind of decide for yourself what you're making of that scene that it lays out in front of you yeah like it's not necessarily ascribing a sense of like there are certainly ways in which like you you feel sympathetic one way or another because of the just the nature of like storytelling about a specific any particular character who is essentially pr- the protagonist but it is not assigning like where your loyalty should lie in any way like no. that's for you to figure it out it's yeah. placing it in front of you and there may be like shades of potential ways they can manipulate this or not but yeah. it's ultimately up to the viewer to decide all right what is this what do i make of it how am i supposed to feel about it yeah and that is very much the sense that you said of not being pander to it's laying it out all in front of you yeah and now it's your turn yeah like you have to put in the work yeah and it's funny because i was just like what they're doing with the season so far i think is interesting because for the most part in the first two seasons we spent a lot of time with the main cast Mm -hmm. and episodes like this were in the minority out of the season so there would be like maybe two maybe two at most like this um and because this is two out of the four that's out so far they very famously started off the third season with the three slaps episode, which is the Hart family murders homage, I guess you could call it. And then we spent two episodes with Ern and the and the gang, um, mm-hmm. and then we're back to an episode like this, which is definitely standalone. We're not sure how many more there is to go, and that's the part that I think people are trying to figure out is if we're going to spend the remainder of the six seasons with just Ern in Europe. But I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious I'm curious if you like tip the balance towards that way where it is more I guess like standalone episodes like what does that mean for Atlanta um and right. and like, have, the main cast. Yeah, I have seen some worries and hand-wringing from fans on like Reddit and forums who are not a fan of this direction. They're like I want to hang out with like Earn and, and and company. Like that's what I'm interested in. That's right. what the show is about for me and you know, you can understand that in a certain sense, especially considering, like, you know, these fans presumably have been missing these characters for years now. They've yeah. been longing for the return of these people. But at the same time, like, having watched all of this in one run uh, recently, I think it all still fits under the DNA yeah. of what 
makes Atlanta Atlanta, which is yeah, not just the characters, not just like okay, I'm hanging out with this like uh, goofy ensemble. Um, it's a lot more than that, and I don't think it like deviates that wildly. Yeah, but I can also see like okay, we're four episodes into a hugely like heavily anticipated season and still we've only gotten this much time spent with the main cast yeah Uh, i can see and it's also like and they're in a place far from home they're like not in the normal hijinks mode of of that they usually have been up to the past couple of seasons i can see that too yeah yeah like for me i'm happy with all all of it i'm happy to see whatever direction they take this in i completely agree i'm in it for the ride and it's it's great like I think episode three was one of my favorites, actually, this of this season so far. Um, it's the one where they're in London. Oh, they go to a rich guy's weird house. Party. Yeah, yeah. It, as a Londoner, like it's always funny when you see Americans' observations of, especially in like this context where it's hyper specific part of London. Um, you know, rich people working out of a decoy apartment, and you go up, and it's just you know, there's a Nando's inside inside of this guy's house. It's it's very astute observations. You know, something happens to Darius where some girl says something like racist to him and then the white people around him are more shocked about it than he is. And then the part where um Ern meets like a young artist that's trying to swindle these these rich white people and he feels a way about it because it there's a fantastic conversation um that he has with Alfred about what this kid is doing or what it means for everybody else in terms of like opportunities and getting them um because this kid's work sucks and um the kid is also very self-aware of of what's going on with this and is very aware of like what he needs to be doing financially that whole conversation is so good and it's the stuff that you know you and I have even talked about it in terms of like what it means to release mediocre art as a person of color and like what does that mean for opportunities and representation and it was just yeah. it, it, it like it, it was encapsulated perfectly it just said enough and it was hilarious at the same time like it was actually really funny like the way that that episode played out yeah like it it's very good at like you said touching into what is going on like the the current uh culture and where it's headed and like these conversations are happening online they're happening you know people are writing about these things they're tweeting about these things but so atlanta is like not the first to by any means like broach these topics but it is basically one of the only tv shows i think to be doing it in such a yeah a current way that feels sort of like intellectually true and daring but but also yeah like real to what is what people are actually talking and and thinking about yeah and it feels natural to the characters it feels natural to the story like of course Ern yeah feels the way that he does initially yeah he's a princeton dropout like the first two seasons have built him up to be like obviously different whereas alfred is very clear-eyed about everything always so his his take on it clashes with him a little uh, at first but then they eventually come to understand each other and I i think it's just makes way for that conversation to be way more natural i think the last thing i want to say is that donald glover tweeted i think around november or, or sometime basically before it was coming out or around the time that, it, that nothing like these next two seasons seasons three and four like there's nothing on tv like it and the only thing that can touch it is the sopranos have you ever seen the <laughs> sopranos god helen you know i have so many gaps oh god okay cultural it's TV totally history. fine it's totally fine um, including the sopranos um but it's funny because i think most critics 
agree with that and I agree with that too. I think mm. in terms of the tone, in terms of the way that that show as well did not tell you, like it, it kind of tricked you into what kind of show it was going to be and then you start watching it and it's something entirely different. Um, mm. And from episode to episode, it also didn't care. Um, it would sometimes take a little detour it was definitely more rooted, I think, than Atlanta into like Tony and his life, but it definitely had the same spirit of I'm the TV show, I'm gonna tell you who the fuck I am. And you will either watch it or you won't. I don't give a shit. This is who I am. Um mm-hmm. so in terms of that spirit, like I completely agree. I don't think there really is anything touching Atlanta, uh, apart from the Sopranos. Um but I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes. I really do want to check in with the cast a little bit more, like with the main cast, see what what, what they're up to around Europe. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to see how the final season plays out. All right, so what are we going to talk about for you? So we are trying something a little bit different this week in that we're going to talk about a single episode of something that we have already talked about. So I'm talking about the season one finale of Severance, which is a show that we talked about in a previous episode. So go listen to that if you haven't already. And Severance, just to give a brief refresher, is a show on Apple TV+. It is about these workers at a company called Lumen who have undergone a process called Severance that completely separates uh, in their brain, like the outside or their home personal lives and their inside or work lives. So this whole first season has been a journey of realization and rebellion for these four workers, uh, innies, as I like to call them, Mm -hmm. as they wake up to this likelihood that their employer is doing very sinister shit and they are trapped in a prison that their Audis either won't or don't know even to to release them from. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. The ninth episode, ninth and final episode of the season came out just uh, late end of last week. And God, it was fucking good. <laughs> well, okay, before before anything, this is going to be chock full of spoilers. So oh, if yes. you have not seen the season If that wasn't finale, clear. If it wasn't yes. clear, what the fuck are you doing? Go and watch it. Come back. All right. Now that that's out of the way. Jenny, when this episode ended, I literally got up and started punching the fucking air. Oh my like god. Like Jersey Shore style. Do you know what I mean? I was so happy and like riled up and excited about this incredible episode of TV after an incredible season of TV. They fucking nailed that ending, dude. So obviously a lot of things happen, some of which I think we could have predicted, a lot of which we we did not mm. so i well, let's go through some of these things like one by one yes uh we're gonna get into it yes so first thing i want to get get into is uh something that we did guess i think heli who is heli she is helena egan yes i think the i think the the guess was she's either an egan or an investigative journalist that's trying to crack it open from mm. the inside out i'm really happy that she's an egan i think like TV shows in general, there's like a there's like a rule for all writers is give your characters a secret. The genius of this show is that they are keeping secrets from themselves. They just mm-hmm. don't know it. And mm-hmm. the beauty of this season finale is that it lowered that wall that was in between them. And now they have secrets that they have to keep from everybody else in their lives, in, in, the, in the opposing life, you know? So the fact that Heli is an Egan, the first thing I'm thinking about is, is she going to tell them when they go back? Right. Who knows? 
Like, the Innie Egan is a fucking rebel. We know this. We love her. But is this too much? Like, is she worried that they will look at her differently now? That, like, not yeah. one of them? Like, how does she square this reality with uh, the other one? And how do... Yeah. I... I'm not sure. Like, I'm thinking... I, I have seen, like, predictions that she is going to keep this to herself. Mm. That she is going to somehow, like, turn to another side. But I, I don't think she will, like, necessarily give up on her rebellion. Because I think this is, if anything, it's going to supercharge a, this kind of resentment yeah. and desire she has to get out to to get back at her out. Audi. Yeah, um, yeah. Like we see that she tries to spill the truth in front of all these like rich and influential and powerful people yeah. at the Egan family gala. But I wonder if they're going to, well, I guess the bigger question is really like, what are they going to do now that they have discovered that uh, all these innies have basically staged an escape, a temporary yeah, escape, but still yeah, an escape. Yeah. 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 Like, could it be that Heli now ceases to exist because helena does not want to give her any ammo anymore potentially although like from a sort of meta point of view i don't think that they would get rid of uh i I think they would want to include her character as much as possible yeah that's true that's true but that is that is a possibility yeah because i mean i think season two could just be about helena fixing the mess at first yeah like we we could just spend a couple episodes with helena only and then there's a there's a weird thing that her dad said at the in the bathroom during the gala oh yeah the fucking the revolving like the revolving yeah uh (laughs) which is just raising a whole lot of questions Mm -hmm. as to how much this will turn into some kind of freakish cult thing more than it already is yeah yeah where they get to live forever basically more or less yeah that is like uh what's that other show we were watching about the emperors like the three emperors oh uh foundation Foundation. yeah like foundation yeah 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 Yeah. very foundation vibes let's talk about irving yeah so irving irving's out he is fucking hot dude let's just say that uh he is (laughs) he's out here just listening to the ace of spades fucking making the same painting over and over again like a massive sicko uh, yeah. Living by himself, wearing fantastic leather jackets, uh, has a beautiful car, lovely car, mm-hmm. and and it seems to be some sort of uh, rebel. Like he he is, yeah. he is presumably working with uh, the people who are trying to undo Severance. So I read a fact. So this this season finale was the final was the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of getting me to sign up for a Reddit account. <laughs> so I signed up for my Reddit account and I was reading and there was a Reddit user that actually said something really interesting um, mm-hmm. about Irving because he opens up a trunk and finds out that he's a military man. Um, he's, he has his own medals, but then his father was also... Oh, those are his dad's, oh, his dad's or are medals. Who's no? Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. I couldn't tell if the medals were his and then he was keeping away his dad's stuff. So he's a second generation Navy kid. I don't know. If it is his dad or if it is him... Uh, some reddit user basically said something about maybe they first started doing severance on uh military men that came back from war with ptsd and had to which did you ever watch home homecoming uh on on amazon with julia roberts so homecoming was a podcast that got turned into a tv show it's sam uh, Sam esmail who did uh mr robot I highly recommend the first season. Like, the first season is really good. Um, but it's a very similar premise of 
this shady business is doing uh like chemical trials or something to fuck up the minds of ex-military people or people that have come back from extreme ptsd but uh, like obviously same concept different execution with with severance um that would make a lot of sense so they were saying this reddit user was saying that like oh if they um if he was first gen and it didn't really work out and they were like trying to fix the kinks of whatever severance was uh severance 1.0 was that's the thing that kind of empowered him to start figuring out what was going on and maybe he did go in for it for his dad and maybe his dad was a victim but there is mention that's the thing that i wanted to ask you there is mention of uprisings with the same group um of of people like including pt do they get their memories wiped every time there's like some kind of like uprising and then they just get rebooted and start afresh is that it i would i would guess so because basically like we see you know, the wellness nurse who has a very important identity. We see that she is basically going to be relieved of her job, presumably rebooted somewhere, moved to another department. Yeah. And so the hallway that she walks down when that happens, when her dismissal from her current position happens, that's the same hallway that Irving has been painting yeah. over and over yeah. again. So, it- so the, the theory is like, he has experienced the same thing. He's worked at this company for a very long time, but he's only in the de- been in the department for you know, a shorter length of time than the entire length of time he's been at the company. Yeah. So the the theory is that he has worked elsewhere before. Mm-hmm. Presumably something happened, maybe a rebellion of some yeah. sort. Who knows? Yeah. He he was rebooted. He had his memories wiped and he was put in a new department. Yeah. So I, I would guess that is what happens to any of the workers who do this kind of yeah. uh, rebellion thing and because if he if that theory of like the 1.0 severance uh procedure it makes sense because we see things bleeding into like the black the black goo the black goo that is oozing for his innie that's the black paint that he's painting outside as his outie and then the fact that his outie knows that elevator scene as well um and keeps painting it over it so he remembers that he knows that that's where it's from or it's like subconsciously yeah. at least it's leaking through both yeah ways, exactly one way or another. exactly but what do you think yeah. is going to happen with Bert? because he shows up at Bert's house and sees Bert's husband i was really happy that Bert was actually <laughs> like gay in real life too yeah i thought having the husband was really nice touch as heartbreaking as it was for irving yeah. <laughs> um still kind of unsure about Bert's role in all of this because there are yeah. potential ways like he could he could be working for some kind of revolutionary, like a uh, rebellion act. He could be a company man, like a loyal company mm-hmm. man through and through, or he could be completely uninvolved in all of this. Yeah. Which me saying this is like not really adding any insight. Cause I'm basically saying he could be any of the above, Yeah. but I have a feeling he will continue to be in like the next season. Yeah. Maybe with an even bigger role, but it's just like, cause they would not waste a, a, a huge name, a huge talent yeah. Uh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I hope not. And I think he's packing. I'm guessing he's packing for his retirement vacations. So there was a part of me that was like, I think he might just be like a company guy that was like, this worked for me, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Like, this was great. Um, I mean, in in an ideal world, they get to be friends and there's a romance that blossoms out of it on the outside. But we don't know. we, We don't know like Outie Irving. We have not heard anything. He has not talked. We've only seen him walk his dog. 
he's a man that lives in solitude. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he seems to be very Yeah, he, do- he doesn't have any... Right, like, we don't seem to interact with anyone. Yeah, like, he just keeps making the same painting over and over again. Uh, there's something very wrong with this guy. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, I think season two will get to see a lot more of both Heli and Irving as outies, um, and that will be fun. So I wanted to talk about Cobell also. Mm, yeah. Because I think s- some people were surprised by what happened in the final episode. Leading up to this, she had been doing her own sort of like side plot, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> not involving the board. And so she was fired for that. And then we see this kind of rage that she has built up against the company be- from being so unceremoniously fired from something she devoted her entire life to. And then, you know, we see that she has very interesting, strong, passionate feelings towards Mark, whether it's like pity or sympathy or like actual care. Yeah. You know, when his Audi self says, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe changing work, leaving Lumen. She seems shocked, but very happy. Like she almost cries. She's like, yes, like, Do it. yeah, we think, think, yeah, we think she's going to be happy for him. Yeah. But then when the finale comes around and when she realizes that this is his any self suddenly appearing, I mean, I think a lot of people thought that she was actually going to end up helping the innies, helping Mark, because she had just been fired. But no, she runs straight back to, like, the company bosom, like, ready to tattletale. And I thought that was a smart, like, it was an, it was an interesting move for the writers because it, it really sort of defied the optimistic sort of prediction and i think anybody that thought that she would help was uh extremely naive i think that it could only Mm -hmm. have gone the way that it did because Mm -hmm. her saying that to mark like leave do it is her being pay and like wanting to punish them for hurting her and obviously the second the second that she knows that she could maybe win their affection to go back in of course she's gonna take it i just thought it was interesting that you know her being like on the phone to milchek being like i'm gonna fix it like i always do i mm-hmm. thought that was actually dumb of her to think because i feel like that the board is probably gonna think this was her mess and it's gotten so out of hand that this is the point where it's at so she definitely cannot come back because it's such a royal fuck up that it's gotten to this stage and it's her fuck up do you know what i mean yeah so i will say like what a good moment like when she realizes it oh my god like i i actually didn't i didn't even catch it the first time i was just sort of like watching this i rewound to see it but there is a basically there's just one single moment where stupid poor stupid like any mark calls her by the name cabal yeah. like mrs cabal which is her name inside and that is not outside that's yeah. her inside yeah. name her outside name is selvig yeah. so that is the moment just such a small oh tiny God. thing but it betrays everything i thought that was so good i let out the biggest groan <laughs> <laughs> the second he said it i was like no but i mean it's necessary you know there was no way there's no way he would have known yeah go away with this unscathed shout out to dylan for holding those handles for as long as he did um i think it really allowed mark to find out a lot and i wanted to kind of chat about mark because i feel like he is in the most optimal position out of all of them in terms of the mission which was to try and get as much information exchange between the two worlds as possible yeah he's really the only one who succeeded i'd say at his task agree um Oh my god. I mean, I was so frustrated, of course, in the build-up to everything when 
you know, he keeps feebly trying to get his sister Devin to to have a private moment with him with yeah. him so he can tell her and uh, i mean that was really well written like the the tension the rising tension and like the frustration is yeah like suffering and torture that's like to sit through but still it was it was good to like but ratchet they, up they this did kind they of did give you some relief though th- so that yeah. that's why it wasn't so bad because like it was torturous it knew exactly what it was doing but it eventually yeah. rewarded us um yeah. so i can't be mad at it yeah the final moment he has the picture in his hands. He's learned the identity of his wife, Gemma. Uh, finally, there's that sort of like crossover, um, that the realization, that knowledge exchange. And then just as the overtime switch gets killed, he rushes out and he says to a room full of people while clutching the photo, like she's alive. Yeah. And so we can only hope that at least Devin, like Devin is the only one who could possibly know what he's talking about. We just hope that she'll be there to see him with the photo and knows what he's talking about. I feel like it will be too convoluted for them to try and figure out a way that people get confused by that scene. Like, especially Devin. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that she'll definitely get it. Mm -hmm. Um, The main question I have is what the fuck is Devin going to do now? Yeah. And what, what, I guess, what is the company going to do with Mark and yeah. with a lot of them? Yeah, um, with all of them. Like, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Like, they can't just let them return to work. They'll have to reboot them or yep. maybe even just seize them entirely. Both their yeah. outside selves or inside selves. Like, just sit, physically seize them. Yeah. Uh, because this whole town is like a company town. Like, yeah. The, yeah. the law enforcement are entangled with the company yep. like the housing is company housing yeah it's a very dangerous place to be and unless yep. they completely go on the run on the run like i think they there is a chance that they will just all of them be physically locked away in some dark corner of this yeah. like labyrinthine building yeah exactly i definitely think that we're gonna have a new character of a journalist for Poking season around. two yeah yeah did you read the um what were those papers called? The the sort of like additional ebook thing that Apple TV released. Oh no! Um, basically, it's it's nothing to do with the current characters and like ongoings, but it is basically a look at this journalist who from some paper in a different state. I think it maybe was in Kansas or something. Is investigating based on some reader tip or something, mm. and then. Uh, the story ends up getting killed, but yeah, that right. there's like a prime opportunity for some sort of like investigative journalist to get involved in this this one, like similar to those uh, that supplementary material. Yeah, and I especially like I, I think it's always fun when you get a new character joining a pre-existing cast. So I'm curious to see if like that person will work with Devin to mm-hmm. figure that out. Yeah, um, and and we need to get Devin like also connected with the. Uh, what's oh the yeah, name with the shorty the... that Mark met met outside. Yeah, yeah. the former the former Lumen like scientist who, yeah. who helped invent Semperance or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. we we know now that like yeah they definitely want to expand this for everybody. I don't know, dude. I mean, I'm curious to see how Helena Egan deals with it now. So I don't know, like because we still haven't met her. Uh, we just know her from that one video. That yeah. relationship with her father looks really fucking weird. So I'd love to kind yeah. of see how that plays out. Yeah, man. Poor uh, poor Dylan. I wish he got to meet his kids slash kids, maybe. Um, yeah, potential kids. Potential um, kids. Fascinating stuff. So exciting. I think like many people are super excited about this show now. Now that it's done, now that it kind of like it really 
stuck the landing. Everyone is talking about how this is like a perfect season of TV. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are comparing it to Lost. Um, I mm-hmm. get it because it's all like fan theory and mm-hmm. there's so much mystery too. There's so many unanswered questions. I think what this season is telling us is that the writers know exactly how this is going to end as opposed to Lost where by season two we realized that they didn't <laughs> and we were just like in it for the ride basically. Um, they just renewed it. So yeah. um, they just renewed it for season two. God, we'll see you guys next year. We'll be talking about it for sure, man. So for Culture Notes this week, we are talking Benefer Baby. Uh, this is not the first time that we've brought up the King of Boston. He is one of our favorites. Uh, we've also talk- talked about their relationship blossoming when it was first blossoming. Well, Re-blossoming. good day. Yeah. yeah, good day, everybody, because they are now engaged. Um, so a couple nights ago, maybe last night, I've forgotten when, who fucking knows. Um, Jennifer Lopez posted a video teasing some amazing news that you could only find out if you signed up to her newsletter. Really just hustling. Like, she is just... always out here. What is with this newsletter, dude? I haven't signed, even I haven't signed no, up. Right? Um, I probably should, just for, you know, work purposes or something. But Anyway, so I didn't, I obviously didn't. And shout out to all the reporters that had to do this for their jobs. Uh, you are doing the Lord's work. Basically, we found out that Ben Affleck re-proposed to her after what 20 years yeah um with a new with a new ring this one instead of a pink diamond it's a green diamond um and they are planning to get married for real this time because as we know they had a two-year engagement that broke off we are all very happy i think for the both of them just because i don't know it was like fascinating when they first got engaged like when they were first dating 20 years back and then they got engaged and i think everyone was a bit like I would say disappointed that they didn't go with it. And then they both had their own relationships in the meantime over the 20 years. I think Jennifer being in definitely far more dramatic romantic relationships than Ben. But Ben is not uh, not immune to those either. So the fact that they've just kind of like learned about what it takes, we hope. We hope they've learned what it takes to be in a long-term committed relationship um, and found their way back to one another it is gorgeous. What are your thoughts on this, Jenny? If you have any, I don't really have any thoughts except I'm I'm happy for them and I'm I'm happy for J Lo's newsletter business. Like, yeah, <laughs> get those subscription numbers. Like, y- y- everyone needs a another revenue stream and and something to fall back on. And you know, good for her. She really knows how to yeah. how to keep it tight. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing is the way that everyone just kind of clowns Jennifer, uh, like with her love don't cost a thing thing dance that she would try to do and then it didn't work out. That was hilarious. And this is this whole thing is just really funny. I just I think I said to you off air before we started recording for the both of them. This is such local behavior. (laughs) The fact that they've just (laughs) I don't know. This is just funny. It's just extremely like normal things to do yeah they're Um, a very corny couple like for all their glitz and glam yeah um yeah which is just it's kind of nice to see and it's it's nice to see (laughs) quote unquote true love prevail uh over over decades whatever happy for them Uh, i just uh, with, with jennifer she's had so many like 
it's just really funny watching her over the years just like love all these men very loudly break up with them very loudly very dramatic endings um and then for her to like never not learn her lesson and like do the same thing again um but good for her man love loudly yeah don't be like me don't be a fucking curmudgeon um be happy like jennifer so that's it for us this week if you are watching anything you think we should check out let us know as always we're reachable on instagram twitter or email us criticismisdead at gmail.com uh you can check out our Substack, criticismisdead.substack.com for extended show notes including links to everything we've been talking about probably some bonus tweets or whatever else we can find and if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing on apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice maybe even tell a friend about us uh anything you can to help us get the good word out there we love and thank you for everything including that uh so see you next week bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny jujang our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew luke